With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey gang, today's guest is Brendan Brown, lead vocalist and guitarist for the New York City rock band, Weedus. Together, Brendan and I break down the writing, recording, and release of their mega hit from the turn of the century, Teenage Dirtbag, taken from their self-titled album in 2000. The influences Brendan listed behind the inspiration of the song are phenomenal. From LL Cool J to ACDC to Soul Coughing, and about a dozen more artists were mentioned as influential markers that Brendan strived to hit with this track. And he did. For those reasons alone, that is why I feel this song absolutely stands on its own as being a one-of-a-kind, unique piece of music. In addition to that, the way the band layered the instrumentation and structured the production is another reason why the song is its own monster. Oh, and Brennan was beyond cool to offer up an exclusive, off-the-cuff acoustic rendition of the song for us here today. And he sounds exactly like he did 20 years ago. Amazing. For all this and two tickets to Iron Maiden, baby, don't touch that dial. Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Brennan, what's happening? Hey, how are you? I am fantastic. I want to uh, thank you for for sitting in today. You already told me you're you're in New York. Are are you still uh, in the city? Yeah, yeah, we live in uh, in the Bronx now. We've moved around New York City for the past, I don't know, 20, 25 years. I think I moved to the Lower East Side when I was about 25 and uh, was down there for a minute. And then we went on tour and I didn't really have a place to come home to necessarily. That wasn't my mom's house, which was awkward. <laughs> but then, uh, then I moved uh, a few years after that, 2004, I moved to Brooklyn. Um, and I was in Brooklyn for a while, and then uh, we moved to the Bronx. So, that's awesome. Looks like you're uh, in in your home studio there. Yeah, yeah. We finally found a home where I can put all of this shit <laughs> and stack <laughs> stack it up. <laughs> hey, honey, can I? No, please. We're, well, we do have that. We do have that discussion. But Gabrielle, uh, my life partner, plays guitar and is a, a singer songwriter as well. And we both ride BMX, so. The BMXs are stacked up. The guitars are stacked up. The the pedals are stacked up. It's kind of like, will you sell something? No, you sell something, you know? Gotcha. <laughs> okay, well, in, in my notes here, uh, I believe Gabrielle's one of your backup singers now for That's the correct. band. That's correct, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So you're keeping it all in the family. That's great. Well, uh, for the listeners, I want to give a, a, a little uh, a history on Wheatus. Uh, the band was formed in 1995 in Northport, New York. Uh, I'm from Northport, Florida. Uh, oh, drastic, wow. Drastically different places. Yeah, uh, a little different, <laughs> yeah. Although there's a lot of New Yorkers, a lot of even Northport New Yorkers in Florida, and I'm sure quite a few who went to Northport, Florida. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Florida's God's waiting room. That's where uh, every, every, <laughs> every, everyone from New York uh, goes to die. Um, Co- COVID Brenda- purgatory. <laughs> Brendan uh, is the re- only remaining founding member of Weedus. Uh, he's the lead vocalist and guitarist of the band. And I guess you're, you're commonly known to fans as, 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 how do you pronounce that? BBB or Triple B or? Uh, BBB. BBB. Somebody said something recently that I had never heard. Somebody said, are you known as B3? And I was like, never. <laughs> Not in any timeline, I hope. <laughs> Not unless you want to get punched. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the band uh, was originally started uh, with Brendan's brother, Peter on the drums and uh, Rich Leahy on the bass, uh, multi-instrumentalist and engineer Phil A. Jimenez. Did I pronounce that right? Jimenez? That's correct. Yeah, well, uh, he, he actually, he pronounces it Jimenez. He so does. Okay. He does. He does indeed. And I've gotten yelled at before and I'm like, no, 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 he's my friend. Trust me. <laughs> so I don't know, you know. <laughs> Well, uh, Phil joined the band after hearing Teenage Dirtbag, and he produced the self-titled Weedus album, uh, which was mixed by, is it uh, Thoner, David Thoner? Yeah, David Thoner, yeah. Okay, who has, okay. Who has some pretty interesting credits. I don't know if you looked him up, but the, the I picked him for two, I saw two credits on his list when, when he came our way, and um, uh, I knew it was it had to be him. It was uh, for, the, for those about to rock. He had mixed that record, and he also mixed John Waits' Missing You, which is just an absolutely gorgeous piece of music. thought yeah we need to sound exactly like whatever the two of them would would be you know? yeah and, and, and teenage dirtbag is kind of right in the middle of both of those songs i think exactly you know? exactly yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm very proud of the the work that dave did on our first record i think he nailed it so he uh he gave us he you know we were working on our sound for a long time yeah and he was like the punctuation mark at the end of that journey where it was like, no, this is what this band sounds like. And he really stuck the landing for us. So it was great. That's great, especially with, with your first record. You're, you're, you're trying to find who you are as a band. And, and, and that's uh, pivotal a lot of times to finding your sound. That's great. Oh, of it course, sounds like uh, you know something about this yourself. <laughs> a, a, a little a little bit, Brennan. Just, just, just a bit. Um, you know, the song we're going to be talking about, I, I kind of let the uh, cat out of the dirt bag here a minute ago. It is, it is, teen, it is Teenage Dirtbag. Uh, the band signed a multi-album deal with Columbia in 2000, and the self-titled uh, album was released on August 15th, 2000. Teenage Dirtbag was their first and largest hit. It charted at number two in the UK and spent four weeks at number one in Australia. And the album has sold over five million copies worldwide. That is when I first heard of you. The single, I believe, was released in July, Brendan. And we were out on the road. And I remember where I was at. It's You know those moments. Uh, I'm sitting on the bus with Ben uh, Osmondson, the bass player for uh, Zebrahead. And, uh, oh, Ben. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And we're sitting on the bus and he goes, man, our, our label wants us to, to tour with that band, Weedus. He's like, we don't really know if we want to because like, they're, they're, they're so different than us. We think we should be doing this. And I said, man, I said, they have the biggest song at Alternative Radio right now. I said, I, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably take the tour. And I know they ended up doing, doing the run with you. And, and- yeah. So, so, so I'll, I'll get this out right away. I love Ben. I love his whole band, all those guys. They oh, were- they're great. They were so, they, we learned so much from them and they were super patient with us and you know we were super green but Ben was right 
that tour was weird because the cr- it was a little misleading for the crowds. Like, sure. it, it, you know, and it was a label thing where it's like, uh, whatever the name, whatever the call numbers of the radio station, oh, 102.3, you know, Cincinnati, that's how much the ticket costs, a dollar and two cents. Right. You know, so it was like this, this sort of like a kind of harebrainy idea. Now, uh, Zebra had, had had way more live experience than us and were really savvy and seasoned. And we were just kind of having our first tour. And there were all these conversations where I was like trying to get the label to roll it out slowly. Like, let, no, let's do a little East Coast thing and then come back home. Let's go do a little West Coast thing and come back home. And they were like, no, you're going on this huge radio promo tour with Zebrahead. And the thing was, you were right. We had this big song at Alternative Radio. And Zebrahead's single was clicking with their people big time in the in on the audience level. But it wasn't happening at radio the way that Teenage Dirtbag was. So it was we were on different schedules. We we just was waking up at four o'clock in the morning to do man cow, you right? Know? Yeah. And Zebrahead were still like up, you know, having mm-hmm. a regular like tour where you go to bed at like six o'clock in the morning, you know. So it was like <laughs> it was like this. It was a, and there was twenty one people on that bus on this like hockey bus, and they as as individuals they were really exceptionally patient with what was going on and sort of gracious and. And all that, but it was we actually had conversations about in real time about how this is weird, like you know. What's yeah, going on? well, you know, and they they were kind of trying to find who they were at that time. You know, they were out touring with with my band, Less Than Jake. They were out touring, you know, taking any tours they could. And this came along, and Columbia was, you know, trying to uh, invest in them, put some marketing dollars. But I'll tell you, Zebrahead, if you're listening, hello guys, I love you. Uh, top five bands we've ever toured with. Have an absolute ball with them, and uh, they're they're still out there killing it. Teenage Dirtbag was featured in films such as Loser and Bully, as well as the HBO miniseries Generation Kill, the Netflix original series Girl Boss, and The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. The band began work on their second album in the summer of 2002. I love this story. Uh, the album's first single, American in Amsterdam, was heavily underpromoted after the band had a dispute with the label over their request to lip sync On Top of the Pops, which is an English uh, <laughs> music variety show. Sure. When their second album, Hand Over Your Loved Ones, was released in the fall of 2003, it received little to no promotion in the UK, and it was never released in the US. In October of 2004, the band parted ways with the label and re-released the album with a new title, Suck phony. <laughs> <laughs> so can I iron out the record a little bit here? Yes, please iron it iron it out. Okay, so in the summer of 2001, we were booked to play with Stone Temple Pilots and Green Day at an Arctic Circle, a Finnish uh, Arctic Circle festival, right? Okay. Meaning that the sun never sets. It's just, it's you can still take pictures of the sun at, at you know in the sunlight at at 12 midnight, and so you know the deal, right? So yeah. two weeks before. The festival, two things happened. Green Day and Stone Temple dropped off, I think, to go into treatment. And then the single, Teenage Dirtbag, really started hitting in Finland and the the sort of Nordic region there, you know. And they asked us to take the headline slot after those two bands dropped off. What they didn't tell us was that it had become or had originally been somewhat marketed as a black metal festival. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course, because because you're up in that type of that part of the world, you know, right? right. Finish, which def, I, finish which, black metal, right? Uh, and I love, like, I you know, g- give me all the stories about drinking out of skulls and all that stuff, you know, burning churches. I, I mean, like, it's real interesting to me, considering where I came from, where I grew up. But the uh, fact was that we were like this sort of crossover pop or power pop band that was 
not supposed to be on that stage, really. Like, mm-hmm. if we're talking, you know. So, uh, about midway through the set, I got uh, pelted with a rock that was like maybe half of a Belgian block, like about that much, like big. And he, this guy beamed me right in the chest while I was singing. And it kind of knocked the wind out of me and sent me back a little bit. And I was like in pain and pissed off. And I did the typical like green musician on tour for the first time in Europe thing. And I challenged the guy to a fight on stage. And up comes this like seven foot tall Viking, right? <laughs> and he's got <laughs> and he's got like four or five security guards hanging off of him. You know, and he's fighting his way up and he's on the barrier and then all the barrier guards join in. So he's got like 10 guys trying to hold him back. Now, this guy would have ripped me in half, right? And I was kind of thinking, well, that's like, you know, that'll make the news. <laughs> this guy actually kills me on, at a black metal festival. What a thing. <laughs> Might sell so, a few uh, more records. Right, exactly. So the thing that he was shouting in his sort of like best English was, you suck phony. You suck phony, Right. Ah. Right. So so we had this idea even back then when we got off that stage and kind of regrouped backstage, we were we were cracking up about it and we were kind of like, we have to put a live record out called Suck Phony. This is the, the you know, if that's not the the thing that tells us to do that, what it, you know, what is. So that's where that title originally came from. It had very little to do with the record label. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I, I love that. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, uh, that, that's known as a spoonerism when you take the first letter and change it with the with the other word after it. I, I never knew that. Our, my trombone player in my band, uh, he enlightens me with weird, useless information that I'm, I'm sharing with everybody on the show right now. Well, well, let's have a live taco, though, because when I finished writing Teenage Dirtbag, I lived in an apartment on Spooner Street. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The coincidence is just keep keep rolling here. Here we go. The band continues to stay active today, touring and recording. They just finished up the Summerland tour with Everclear, Living Color, and Hoobastank, which I got to ask before we move on. How was that? That seems like a, a, a pretty cool bill. Uh, whoever said, don't meet your heroes, that person lied. I, and I'm, I'm borrowing that from, a, I think, a Hoobastank. Uh, tweet that was sort of like halfway through or or almost all the way through the tour. Um, Art Alexakis, one of my favorite American songwriters of all time, he was like in one of those bands that was neither Nirvana nor Blink-182 for that little bridging time between yeah. sort of n- 94 to 97 like area. And, you know, Living Color, I mean, I, I, I gave up trying to play like Vernon Reed when I was 14 after two weeks of struggling at, you know, cult of personality and uh and open letter to a landlord and yeah how, how do you stuff. how do you emulate his style you just, just don't a, you don't yeah. you, you don't i mean <laughs> dude's um, a monster yeah you kind of have to start over from scratch if you're gonna play like that um, right right and watching him do it every night and by the way they are in the best shape of their lives like those guys are running uh how to be a great band and great musicians clinic every night you know, that's awesome. amongst the entertainment of it. And then Hoobastank is like, first night I watched their set, it was like three, th- about three dates in, I finally, we finally had our, our pack down and all that stuff. And I was watching side stage and I was like, oh my God, I know every single one of these songs. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's incredible just, how many hit, how many hits that band had. Right. Incredible. So it's like this super deep bench of, of just across the timeline, uh, eclectic, uh, and and sort of s- stable group of people who are soberly chipping away at being better at what they do. And it was so lucky and fortunate that Art reached out for us and, and gave us that chance. I just kind of felt like, I don't know, we're not used to that kind of 
kind of gift, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, art, art's uh, art's great. I have nothing but uh, amazing things to say about him. We were on Capitol Records, uh, less than Jake, with Everclear in the '90s. So wow, uh, got to play some radio shows with him. I've never met the Living Color guys. I'd, I'd love to, and uh, we'd we done some shows with Hoobastank, and they were just uh, amazing people, amazing people as well. You know the the song Teenage Dirtbag. I'm careful when I choose words. I, I never want to offend someone on this show, but. Does this qualify as a novelty hit? Would you call it that? Is that, is I, that... sure, sure, and and, not... and and I and I say that endearing because I've never had a, a novelty hit. I would love to have a novelty hit. And well, this... so here's the thing. Like, I mean, first of all, if you told like ten or eleven year old me when I was like trying to play Angus Young the best I could and just d- dancing around the living room looking in the mirror seeing if I had the moves right and the f- and the fingering right you know <laughs> if you'd have told me that I get to do any version of this when I'm an adult I would have signed up yeah I, I, you know na- naively perhaps but I would have been fine with that so right. whatever you whatever anybody wants to call it I'm not precious you know like, it's, well, it's the, like a, the only reason I use that term with this song I've heard I've heard your other stuff. This really stands out, and I guess I'm just gonna. I, a lot of times I'll save this this question for later in the episode when we get deeper into the song. But I'm just gonna ask you now. So, did you know when you wrote it that it was something special, or was it just this just this song at that point? I had a sense that it was a strong story. Like the story arc is is fictional to my life. You know, somewhat inspired by time and place of where I grew up, but mostly in its narrative is fictional and. I felt like it was this sort of Hollywood ending kind of thing, perhaps, or just even like a like a kind of Walt Whitman ending or something like that, like a resolve. But I also had been around a bit and been in and out of like three or four, I guess, bands that were just this close to a record deal and did some pretty serious touring. And I, I knew at that point that like that's not enough to cut the mustard just because you have this thing that you know so what if people line up around the block in, in your home city and at mercury lounge mercury lounge and they you know they they tell their friends about it and there's people there you don't know that doesn't none of that really means anything i had seen that before you know as i'm sure you did right at, uh, right like, so so i was sort of a cynical kind of thinking carefully about it and I had been the most serious thing I had done prior to that was I was in a band called Hope Factory which was I was a lead guitar player and I was taking taking my direction from the lead singer songwriter of that band it's a good friend of mine still a guy named Allie and he's the first guy I ever met who had a complete vision you know he knew what the record needed to sound like he had a strategy for the record labels he was he was you know, very uh, dissect and rebuild in our rehearsals when it came to we're going to do a showcase at Brownies or whatever. And I learned so much from that. And we actually got a management deal with uh, uh, in that band with Joan Jett and her management. And we we hit the East Coast uh, direct support for her on a few dates. And that was like the first like ju- everybody rent a van and jump in the van and we'll you know, take turns driving and all, you know, you know, the first oh, yeah. run. Uh, and I was I guess I was 20. Two or twenty-one when that for when that was my first experience like hitting the road and I was so socially awkward and sort of like scared of talking to her and all that stuff but she was really nice and and patient with us and yeah, gave Joan's us amazing point. right and her manager a few years later when I had teenage dirtbag finished I kind of showed it to him and and I said what do you think and he said it's a maybe 
it's a maybe, you know? And I was <laughs> Ken, like, yeah, you're, okay. You're, you're, speak, you're speaking of Kenny Laguna. Yeah, Kenny Laguna, yeah, <laughs> who, who's who's seen and done just about everything there is right, to do. Right, right. Um, hey, but hey, he, he didn't shoot you down. He gave you a, a nice solid B plus no, he maybe. Gave me, he gave me the real shit, you know? He, he he's, yeah. a, he's a tough uh, sort of like hard-knuckled manager from New York City, you know? Right, um, right. And he... Uh, he wasn't bullshitting me, which was kind of cool, you know. So you, so you kind of knew there was something here, and you know, when I when I think of a novelty hit, and I and I use that uh, with the utmost respect in this song because there's there's novelty songs that you're like, oh, that's cute, that's kitschy, and yeah, it's got all the bells and whistles, but it just they don't end up being hits. It's just yeah, it's it's kind of a, a throwaway song that's over here. They miss the mark. There's so much in this song. And I remember when it came out, this song sparked so much conversation. People thought you were a girl at the end with the falsetto. I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, uh, There was, there's just the, the sound effects, the production of this song. There was, there was a lot here. You know, there's elements here of, of everything that was happening in the nineties, but, but at the same time, nothing sounded like this song to me. I mean, this particular track just stood out uh, and, and and great novelty songs will do that. Nothing will sound. I mean, I hear a little bit of Weezer in here. I hear a little bit of Everlast in here, what was happening at the time. I hear like interesting, a, interesting. A, a little bit of Soul Coughing, a little bit of Everclear, but not those bands, if that if that makes sense. You sure. know, it had, it had its own sound and there's so much little things going on here that uh that just adds up to to what this monster of a song has become 200 million 655,469 youtube views as of last night (laughs) congratulations man that is that's incredible that's incredible (laughs) yeah i i wish i could like understand what that meant. I mean, I'm sure that you'd also don't like, it's hard to qualify or quantify what that even means. Right. Like, you know, because um, like some of my favorite songs of all, like I was look. I, one of my favorite records is uh, the soul cages by sting. Right. Okay. Those singles don't have as many spins on YouTube as Teenage Dirtbag, which <laughs> which doesn't make any like that doesn't make any sense to me, and makes me feel like YouTube plays are maybe not like <laughs> you know something to like judge your own you know whatever by. I, I don't even know position. I guess is the well, word you know, about. I could have went further and checked the Spotify plays to everything else, but I, I'll tell you something. Um, I think it holds weight. I think it's an, I think that's an incredible benchmark. I and and this song, everybody knows it. Everybody knows this song. It was just this was the biggest song of of, of two thousand, pretty much. And right. uh, without any further ado, if you don't mind, I'd like to jump jump into the song right now. Sure, sure. Uh, and yeah. break break this puppy down. Uh, it's four minutes and seven seconds. Uh, the beginning is a uh, uh, seven seconds of a drum loop by itself, and then from the seven second to the ten second mark, there's a swell of a record scratching turntable sound as the band jumps in with acoustic guitars and bass over that same drum loop and the record scratch. Uh, that takes us up to the 21 second mark where verse one starts and the record scratching drops out at this point. Her name is Noel. Her name is Noel. I have a dream about her. She rings my bell. I got gym class in half an hour. Oh, how she rocks in keds and tube socks. Yeah. 
well, Keds. Yeah. Keds. You you wrote a hit single with Keds shoes. Yeah. Um. Well, so yeah, in the eighties when I grew up, that was like just my early early tendencies. You know, girls who caught my eye, or even just people who caught my eye. I wasn't into like the fancy like or high heels or, or like uh, that kind of like made me feel nervous or kind of like something. I liked a sporty look, you know. Okay. I was like that. That's like okay. That's somebody I can be friends with, and and you know, someone who'll maybe come and hunt turtles with me in the woods or something. You know, <laughs> like like, like uh, I uh, like that was that was the vibe. It was like, where's the simple like sort of tom tomboy vibe happening? You know. Okay. Um, and who who's Noel? Well, I, I didn't know a Noel personally. Uh, the name was familiar to me because my brother, my little brother, had been in grammar school with somebody who had that name, and I had never met that person or interacted with that person at all. That was just a a good v- v- a vowel motion, you know, the yeah. Keith Richards thing, the vowel movement. You know, I was like, that was like a perf- the perfectly perfectly suited name for that spot, you know. Well, you know, uh, I, I won't necessarily throw the, the record-scratching turntable sounds as as part of the novelty thing. That was going on a lot, especially in the, in the late 90s, 2000s. Uh, you know, people were introducing that into not just rap but into rock songs. But the first little bells and whistles here of what I was talking about earlier, uh, on the line, she rings my bell. There's a slight ding of a bell in the left speaker. And then there's just like this 80s-sounding computer sound off to the right. Yeah. That kind, kind of happens. She rings my bell. I got you in class in hand. Whose idea was that? Was that uh, uh, well, something that f- you or Phil or, or David? Well, that the, was a sort of that was me, and it was a sort of these these jokes write themselves kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, just having a bell on the word bell is like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, it, it's it's so on the nose. I actually still have the bell is upstairs. You want me to go get it? And you have the actual damn bell that's in this song. I do. That part? I do. Um, <laughs> here, hang on, hang on. I'll go get. I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after these messages from our sponsors. If you're a fan of fierce, honest, in-your-face rock music, check out Another Cheetah. Based out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, another cheetah lives to plug in, turn up, and rock out. Why do I You'd be much off someone else. Another Cheetah, streaming now on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever else you listen to music. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now, back to the show. One of the versions, one of the sort of four demo versions of the song that we uh, finished 
I was at Phil's apartment, Phil Jimenez. Uh-huh. And uh it was it was the autumn, I think, of ninety-seven. And we were kind of putting together the version that had fake drums, right? Okay. Like we um we took a cue from Soul Coughing and began producing the record be, uh, before we had a drummer with an MPC 2000, uh, which was, uh, you may wow. or may not know, the, yeah. the, hip-hop, the ultimate hip-hop production studio for the 90s, you know? Yeah, that was, that um, was, the, that was the real deal. Right, and the, the, the beginning of the song, we wanted it to feel like it went from sort of LL Cool J into like a Jeff Lynn production. Like, that was the, that was the, we wanted to come out of New York and into the world kind of yeah. thing. You know, um, from LL so, Cool Day to to uh, ELO, <laughs> exactly. Or actually, when I say Jeff Lynn, I think I'm probably referring more to like the way he made Full Moon Fever sound. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, that kind of stuff. So here we go. Here's the right, um, and now I I did it with with the back of a of a butter knife exactly yeah. this way. So so it's like this this little bell tree, and I'm pretty sure it's this one right here, the third one from the smallest. That's it right there. So I'll see if I see if I can get a clean strike for you here. Yeah, that sounds that that sounds like it to me. That is yeah, all. That's the actual one. That's the actual is it uh, safe to say, Brennan, that you're a pack rat? <laughs> I am a pack rat. You can see this is this is but a sliver. He's got the <laughs> damn bell from 25 years ago, and you should see what's behind this guy. Yeah. So like, Phil, it like was Sanford Phil's and bell. Son. Yeah, right. Exactly. Definitely. I'm definitely a junkyard rat. Um, I respect it. Cheers to you. Yeah, I mean, I build, uh, you know, when you record drums, you make baffles so that there's no snare bleed and hi-hat bleed. I make that out of stuff I found in the trash, literally, always, you know. Oh, look at this piece of rubber that somebody's throwing out. I could yeah. put a microphone behind that, you know, so. Hey, um, Bob, you going to throw out that doormat anytime soon? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't don't get to talking to my band about that because they have much to say. Yeah, I, I, I have one in my band, my, my uh, Rogers R. Pack Rat. You, get, you guys would get along famously. You'd never, yeah, stop, you'd never stop talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for sharing the bell with us. Uh, moving on here, you know, I'm calling this next part the pre-chorus because it happens a couple times and the melody kind of changes here. I'm glad and- you're using that term. Uh, you know who else is into that term? Uh Max from Eve Six is really into the. I term had Max pre-chorus. on the show recently. Yeah, yeah. We he and I had discussions of pre-choruses, and we decided that that's a way to make it so that the song has no bad parts. <laughs> I I like it. Well, you know, this uh, is a pre-chorus to me, even though it's the same uh, progression. Uh, I'm considering this the pre-chorus setup, okay? Because it sets up the sure. chorus perfectly. But she doesn't know who I am, and she doesn't give a damn about me. So it's almost the same progression. It goes to a minor. It goes to a a, a C sharp minor there for a substitution on the E, and then back to the A, and then back to the B. So you're 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 right, but for the minor substitution, yeah. Gotcha. At the forty six second mark, uh, we hit the first chorus, and this is when the real drums come in, uh, along with distorted stereo guitars, but. These don't sound like electric guitars. They almost sound like they're still acoustics filtered through like uh, f- some kind of fuzz pedal or distortion. So what am I hearing exact, here? That's exactly correct. So, uh, for, well, first I should say that the, it's a real drum kit that goes throughout the entire song, right? Okay, um, okay. Yeah, and uh, we 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 found we worked and found uh, a loop from the uh, I don't know if you remember the Wall of Vinyl series of 
uh, sample-free, license-free loops that were available in the 90s? I do. I never had them, but I'm familiar with what you're talking about. So if you were to listen to this stuff, you'd hear it all over Biggie Smalls records and the Rockefeller stuff. And it's it's basically, you know, it was a free library of, of really nice vinyl cuts and loops and things. Mm-hmm. We worked and worked to find a warping sort of vinyl-y uh, sleigh ride that went right into the real drums. I can't even tell you how many of those things we listened to before we found it. But that one went into the real drums and made it sort of smooth. And then it's my brother playing the drums. He he just opens the hi-hat and hits a cymbal shot in the yeah, chorus. Yeah, yeah. The hi-hat gets nice and loud in the chorus. Right. Cause I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. The guitar tones on this are unique. Nothing sounds like this. I haven't heard anything since that sounds like this track. You did a really good job here of, of having your own sound. Like I said, there was elements of other things in here. You can almost hear a little Weezer in parts and a little of this, but man, it had its own thing. Thanks, um, man. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, so the stereo guitars are there. That hi-hat's open like you were talking about, and there's like this high-pitched, almost keyboard sound. I don't know if it's overtones from the acoustic guitars. Yeah. And they're, they're at the end of each line where the guitar hook is. So it's like, because uh, I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby, wow, now, 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 the guitar part. And there's like these dings. Yeah, blip, blip, blip. Yeah, yeah. Baby, yeah, I'm just a baby. What is that? That's the only part of the song that was done outside of our home studio. For some reason, we were in, we were trying to mix it somewhere else on an experimental trip, and uh, it, which didn't didn't work out. But um, that keyboard line was laid down on an old Akai, uh, one of the kind that you could sample. And you know what it was? It was uh, uh, it was DF, DMTF, which is dual dual mode uh, tone frequency. I think I might be getting that wrong, but that's what the telephone company uses as their coding sound. Okay. Have you ever heard of those? Have you ever heard of guys who, you know, you know what phone freaking is? The original, um, this is very fascinating. You can go down a rabbit hole, but. Guys, I know what it was to me as a teenage kid in 1989. But. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you usually like whistle, <laughs> if you whistled tones down the phone, you could open up all kinds of like passageways. You were basically hacking with sound, yeah. right? Um, well, those those uh, tonalities were in a keyboard patch that that was used on those little blips. And man, when we went to re-record it, was that a pain in the ass to retro engineer? Oh my that's god! So crazy that and, and that uh, that that's, that you flew that in after the fact. Which I want to ask you: Was this recorded analog or was this uh, no, tools? no? It was recorded on originally on DA thirty eight Tascam multi track machines. Okay, and then we sw- we upgraded to the DA seventy eight um, multi track machines. Okay, now, I mean this is a this is a sort of a problem that we could discuss of the time because. You know, you you guys came up in the same moment. It was like analog tape was getting really expensive, and all all these new uh, sort of uh, ADAT based multi track yeah. machines were coming online, and they were they were like tr- transitional. Like that was that stuff was like for those four years ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine before Pro Tools came on. 
And that's what we were recording on. That's right. just like it was the thing and you could record over it and it didn't have to worry about that, you know, because two inch tape was, was outrageously expensive. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so we and we were determined to to figure out how our own record sounded because frankly, I didn't know what to if, if Andy Wallace rocked up and was ready to help us, I wouldn't have known what to tell him. Like right. you know <laughs> like I, w- yeah. I wouldn't have known how to verbalize it, so we had to spend some time in the shed, you know. Um, yeah, well though that, that that sound was just was really barking at me. I'm like, what is that? And that that's so cool. I'm gonna read the chorus lyrics here. Cause I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Yeah, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby. Listen to Iron Maiden, baby with me. Ooh, ooh, the ooh, ooh, oohs at the end. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's hard to talk. You have to sing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that ooh at the end is the first time that we hear a harmony in this song. And yeah. do you recall ever wanting to put harmonies anywhere else on this chorus part, or or, or no. were they uh, all just there? No, I spot? wanted I wanted her, meaning the Noel character, the Noel voice in the song, to sort of give you a hint that she was she was going to be there uh, at the tag of every chorus. You know, just kind of like set it up a little bit. Okay. Um, and that was that was the move there, but it was like trying to be subtle about it, trying to be like do that voice a little bit here, a little bit there, and then introduce. You know, it's perfect. It's the way, the way this song builds, and and that they're just a harmony there. It, it's perfect. At the very end here, the drums go. The snare does this double time thing for one measure uh, before verse two starts with that guitar riff, and then the the reintro happens. It's the same as the top of the song with the record scratching uh, what I'm calling the drum loop is back kind of all breaks down and then the scratching disappears again when verse 2 starts at the minute and 17 uh, second mark I have boyfriend's a dick and he brings a gun to school and he'd simply kick my ass if he knew the truth he lives on my block and he drives a her boyfriend's a dick, and he brings a gun to school. And he'd simply kick my ass if he knew the truth. He lives on my block, and he drives an rock. <laughs> now, a couple things here. I know this was around the time of Columbine. Record labels were getting really sensitive with lyrics. Was gun, because every version I, I found online, was gun, did that actually make the record, or was that uh, no. bleeped out? No, no. Uh, so... I've heard told tales that there was an uncensored CD version somewhere, but I know that there was this sort of hubbub about, and you'll remember that Kmart selling records was this new thing that was such a big deal, and everybody at the label wanted to make sure they didn't screw up that relationship, so they were like... That's where you got that, your kids, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the socks. It was a pay, it was a deal. It was like a two, two for... Yeah, but, Blue Light Special. <laughs> <laughs> so so everyone was sort of paranoid about pissing off the big retailer, you know. Sure. Um, so they were insisting on clean versions. Well, when it came, and I didn't mind, I was always a fan of hip-hop records getting played on the radio here in New York, Hot 97, where it was like the daytime, the, the you know, the Curses World record scratched out, and I just thought that was cool. Everybody did, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was ready, kind of ready to accept that fate, but they wanted me to re-sing that one. They were kind of like trying to get under the hood and, and change the song. As labels do, and kind of understandably so at that point, because things were very sensitive and, uh, you know, pe- people just, labels didn't want to get sued. That, that, had, that had a lot to do with it. Uh, I love the line, he lives on my block and he drives an IROC, um, because, again, 
there's these elements of this song that all add up to making this a hit single. There, there, I just remember people talking about this song. There was so much to talk about. Here's another example. Uh, in the left speaker uh, on He Lives in My Block, there's a car starting up. And then on the line right after, and he drives an IROC, at that moment, there's a car peeling out that starts in the right speaker, and then it kind of zooms over and swirls in your head to the left where the car crashes. He lives on my block, and he drives an but he <laughs> was that on the original demo or was that yeah, like that was, in, in that post? was in from a very from very early on it we was wanted, yeah we wanted to set that scene and and create give that visual sort of distraction because you know there's that heavy there's that heavy lyric at the top of the song which is really close to home for me and then or rather at the top of that verse i should say and then we wanted a little bit of sort of like a bugs bunny moment toward the end of the verse you know just get a little levity no, um, I think I think it's cool, you know, that it, it right into pre-chorus two now. Uh, the lyric changes here. It's not she. It's but he doesn't know who I am, and uh-huh. he doesn't give a damn about me. And on that line, he doesn't give a damn about me. Following the chord progression, a B three organ comes in, just yeah. on that part. It's the threat of death. So in the first verse, she doesn't know who I am. It's sort of this somber, like, will I ever be noticed? And then the second verse, it's like, I hope he fucking doesn't notice, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what that was. It's like a little church organ for the funeral if you if you actually get caught, you know? And something else I haven't said yet, and I, I, I meant to, to talk about it earlier, is this song, and I don't mean this again in, in a negative way, it, it's annoyingly catchy. I, 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 I know you know that, you know, just the way the de- the vocals delivered in the chorus, the way you're just kind of whiny about it. And it's just, you're this teenage dirt bag and it's got this, just this quality about it that, that it is annoyingly catchy. It's just, it's, it's an earworm, man. It, it, it really, it really is. Well, thanks. Uh, and I should say that that means a lot coming from you, but the, but the, um, the fact is I kind of wanted the song to be weaponized in the sense that we wouldn't have to explain ourselves or wouldn't have to like yeah. have a have a strategy meeting or like any of that <laughs> stuff. I wanted it to like answer all those questions and go do all the work, you know. Uh, I I'm, I mean, you know, I've done a number of uh episodes here dissecting songs and and just thinking of all the songs I've heard my whole life. Uh, you know, being a professional musician the last 30 years doing what I do seeing different bands I mean there, there's something really unique about this track there's there's it's not many other songs that, that, that sound like it it's, it's definitely definitely got its own thing um, at the one minute and 43 second mark we're at chorus number two uh, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it the real drums kick in again the hi-hat gets real loud here I know the real drums are always well, there we unmute it, the room mics you know there you go so it <laughs> but it really did sound like it was a loop before it didn't really sound like it was was just an unmuting thing you right really, so that's an interesting. So, so back you when did we a good did, job there. Yeah, when we were when we were concocting the version of it that had was done on the MPC two thousand, we went deep on that thing. We created a swing. We created a, a, a specific swing where the beat was a little longer toward the end of the bar than it was at the beginning. We really tinkered with how that drum sample version needed to feel. And you could do all that on that MPC two thousand. So when my brother came and joined the band, we were like, learn this swing. This is a hip hop swing in the verse. It's it's got to stabilize that way, 
and then it kicks off into ACDC land in the chorus, but you got to be LL Cool J in the verse. Yeah. So <laughs> so that was what we were doing. We, it, was, it was on purpose, entirely on purpose, and I'm glad that you think it sounds like a loop because it, it's just my brother playing the song. No, it's it, it's cool, and uh, those are those are really interesting conversations. We got LL Cool J, we got ACDC, we got Iron Maiden, we got Jeff Lynne so far. Uh, you, you know, this is a, this is a cast of characters happening here. Um, yeah. The chorus uh, two is the same as chorus one lyrically because I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby. Yeah, I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby. Listen to Iron Maiden, baby with me. Then the ooze happen with the harmony. There's a slight drum buildup on the floor and the toms here. And at the two minute and five second mark, we're in what is kind of a bridge, but I'm calling this the post chorus. And this is my favorite part of the song. This is where the, the just, I remember hearing us on the radio. I'm like, okay, the other parts, the chorus, but this is the hook. This is the real, the real thing here. Uh, and there's harmonies on all four of these lines, which lift this part. Oh yeah, dirtbag. No, she doesn't know what she's missing. Oh yeah, dirtbag. No, she doesn't know what she's missing. And the on she doesn't know what she's missing, there's this killer descending guitar riff that's happening with it. Right. It just is just another hook in this song that adds up to being to being the hit that it is. It's just all these little parts. It's hook after hook and the way the song's arranged. I also like that there's tambourine on all the snare hits here. That's that really seems sure, to get yeah. loud really seems yeah. to get get loud in that part, but but this part's great. Yeah. So we had tambourines and shakers throughout. We call that section of the song the oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we sound check with it because if we if we dial in this the set for that as the focal point where everything else is kind of going to be okay, you know? Okay. And we've rolled up in festivals where, you know, nobody knows we're playing it on this stage and we get a little line check in front of the crowd and we just count in at one, oh yeah. And within the next minute and 30 seconds, there's a crowd there because they can hear it from the other side of the field and all that stuff. Um, we did that to the Backstreet Boys one time. But... <laughs> That's a great idea for like, you know what? We're going to take our biggest hit, the best part of the song, soundcheck. We'll make sure we get all the asses from stage one over to stage two real quick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you have some version of that trick. No, we don't, but I'm going to steal it. It's amazing. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it's it, amazing. Um, that so, is awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it is like you said. It's like, okay, well, we have a chorus that is kind of an earworm. What Can we elevate? Can we Can we put something better in the song that comes after the chorus. The um, guitars change here too. Uh, it, it's the same kind of fuzz tone, but it almost sounds like something else is there. Maybe a, a chorus or a flange, something else kind of happens. It right. sounds like so, to me. So there were two guitars on the record. There's my Martin, which is the acoustic that's in the video, and I used yeah. that for the electric guitar sounds you hear in the song. And then I have my friends at the guitar shop I used to work at rebuilt me uh, a Bay State parlor guitar from the 1890s. That sounds really crackly and has sort of that James Taylor yeah. fire and rain like delicate uh, sort of thing, and that's the one you hear in the verse. And for the first time, you what you're noticing in the song is that they're both there at the same time in the oh yeah section, and uh, they're these cr- sort of big great. sweeping uh, like open chords where yeah yeah it's no longer um, 
no longer ch- uh, sort of metal palm muted anymore. It's yeah, just big, it's, big open. Yeah, It's great. At the 2 minute and 26 second mark, the acoustic guitar is just that kind of two-string plucking. Verse part comes back in for a half measure by itself, and then we're in what is verse 3, which is just the guitar and vocal for this whole time. And it seems, you know, like on paper here, you're looking at it, it's like it's a lot of lyrics. It seems like a long time, but it just brings everything back down for what happens at the end, which we're going to get to. But verse 3 is... Man, I feel like mold It's prom night and I am lonely Lo and behold She's walking over to me This must be fake My lip starts to shake How does she know who I am? And why does she give a damn about? Man, I feel like mold It's prom night and I am lonely Lo and behold, she's walking over to me. This must be fake. My lip starts to shake. And I'm calling it a pre-chorus three. How does she know who I am? And why does she give a damn about? You never say me there. Just says, why does she give a damn about? Because the next part comes right in. But kind of set up the, the these lyrics here for me. What's kind of happening here towards the end of the song? Well, this is pure nerves, right? Because there's like, I remember this from when I was a kid. If somebody who never paid attention to you is suddenly paying attention to you, you might just be about to get your ass kicked. <laughs> right? So yeah. so like, that was a real, that was real danger, you know? So, so I, I like, I mean... Um, <laughs> And I can relate. <laughs> yeah, the the nervous tension building there is like is looking at either maybe it'll be verse one or maybe it'll be verse two. Like we don't know we don't know which one is going to be the way that this ends. And you know, for her to interrupt that uh, paranoid, you know, uh, jitters kind of moment, it was the only the only solution. You know, yeah. it, was the, it was the only way, unless the boyfriend is there with a gun. It was the only way to get out of to get out of dodge with with a happy ending, you know. Um, okay. So it was like, what are we gonna do? And I guess there's maybe it's an alternate universe where it doesn't end well. <laughs> but but you know. I think you and I were at the same sock hop. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Both standing against the wall awkwardly. Uh, hey, yeah, you're gonna right. piss in the punch, or you want me to? Um, I, I'm calling this chorus three here, Brendan. Uh, okay. But it changes. Uh, the chord progression is is the same, but the guitars here go to eighth notes, and it's just kind of this breakdown. It just it gets it gets almost sludgy, like kind of heavy, not on purpose, but just I think just the way the guitars are played and the way they're laying in the track. And this is where the vocals are falsetto here, and they're in stereo now. The vocals right, in this falsetto right. part, and it's such a cool effect to have it have the vocal happening in the right and the left speaker. Almost with whatever effects on it, it kind of makes it sound like they're they're not in sync. But even though they are, is I've got two tickets to Iron Maiden, baby. Come with me Friday. Don't say maybe. And on the maybe here, that same 80s computer sound happens again right there. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. The, the, that the, happened. Phone, the phone call. Well, yeah, I mean, but, you'll you recall the time of like calling your friends on the phone and having phone numbers memorized and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Though that's sort of like the digits, you know. Like, are we going to talk to each other on the phone? That certainty of when you're calling a friend or even a first girlfriend or something like that. Okay. You remember how it sounds, you know. You remember the song that it makes. Well, the, and the last two lines here: are, "I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby like you." And then the ooze come in, the ooh with a harmony on the ooze. And this whole, these four lines here, it sounds like there's an organ or a keyboard uh, behind it. Yeah, really thick organ pad. um, Yeah, yeah, it's cool. From from an old realistic uh, Radio Shack keyboard that we had. You know, everything you've talked about from the gear to the influences to, to how you ran these acoustics through th- through the you know the preamps that you were doing, that's why this song sounds so unique, man. You're a gear nerd, and that's why this song sounds like it does, man. It, I'm serious. It, it's, it's, it's really cool that, that you captured this uh, because of everything that you, that you did to put into it. That's why it sounds like what it does and, and why no song has ever sounded like it. Thanks, man. Yeah, it, like I said, we uh, from from '95 until '99, we re- I re-recorded the song a couple times in like sort of four-track demo, and then once I started working with Phil sometime around late '96, '97, we did uh, two really like two and a half new versions, and the final one was March of of the year 2000 at my mother's house where we replaced all of our MPC drums with my brother and re-recorded some of the parts. Because we were not quite there on them yet, and that 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 final final version is from my mom's house. And, and this is so great to hear, Brennan, because so many times on the show we've heard that you know a lot of the biggest hits were just oh that was written in five minutes. This is a, a, an example of a song that was kind of labored over production wise. It was really thought of for a number of years, and it still became the monster that it became. That is really cool. Yeah, it uh, was it was certainly overthought. You're right about that. I mean, like. Because a, we a lot of times that doesn't act equal to a hit single, though. It'll yeah, just be overcooked, yeah. and the idea never goes anywhere. You know I, that. I was aware of that threat. I also knew that um, that this thing that I was hearing that was equal parts Paul Simon and uh, James Taylor, and uh, equal parts Metallica and you know ACDC. If you want blood, you got it. I could didn't know how to do that, and I hadn't heard anything that did that yet. Um, and also to have this sort of stability on the floor of the rhythm that you keep mentioning that was straight out of New York hip-hop, you know, Public Enemy and Tribe Called Quest and the stuff that I was listening to, and a band like Soul Coughing, who, you know, was like this experimental New York sort of jazz thing that had hip-hop pieces and samples. Yeah, what what an interesting band. Yeah, it was a very difficult hybrid to come to, so it was taken apart and rebuilt several times yeah that that's great well after the ooze here uh with the harmony the drum build up uh with that you know guitar riff that runs throughout the song the running theme we're in what i'm calling the post chorus it's the outro here and it's the oh yeah dirtbag that we heard earlier uh no she doesn't know what she's missing oh yeah dirtbag no she doesn't know what she's missing uh the, the distorted guitars and the i'm calling the real drums <laughs> kick in for this part i love on oh yeah on the first uh or the third line here uh oh yeah the melody changes on that one just slightly it's i just think it's killer and then you go high on a dirt bag on that line you go up on on the bag and it just kind of just it's just something else that lifts this song at the at the very end here
goes on for about two measures and it kind of ends with this classic rock ending, but it, it almost feels like it falls apart at the same time. Yeah, we wanted that to really start to feel like we came off of the grid. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's um, exactly what it feels like. So we literally turned the the click off for those last few measures where we're doing the da 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 Yeah, that's actually the verse. So so we're playing the verse in a way that is like showing betraying its metal roots and kind of like this up chug thing from straight out of like Helmet or Quicksand, some of the bands that I was into in the early '90s, post hardcore kind of New York City music or even Bad Brains or something, you know, like that sort yeah, of like that's awesome. just giving it that that root back again so that we could just destroy it and, and be done, you know. Kinda. That's cool. Well, for the listeners, I want to let you know we got something really special right now. Uh, Brennan has agreed to, uh, to pull out the old the old acoustic and uh, right. do a little do a little so, uh, off the cuff rendition here for so us. So here's the question. Now, now you must choose. OK, OK. So I have the original Bay State Parlor guitar that's 130 years old upstairs. That's oh, the one man. I did the verses. That's the acoustic sound. Okay. Or I can do it with the one from the video that is the one I recorded the choruses with. But it's I, an acoustic performance. So so this is going to be you have to decide. You got you got to do the 1890 guitar for me. Okay. You got to right. I got to no hear that I, I got to hear that verse guitar. All right, I'll go get it. Hang tight. All right. Okay, so let me see if I can get this mic into a decent position here. <laughs> I'm sure that we can. Okay, let me tune this ancient go, relic. Go for it. So um, when we re-recorded the song, the new master, Teenage Dirtbag 2020, which is on Spotify right now, I was fortunate enough to still have this thing, and it still works. Um, so we actually were able to get back to where we started on that acoustic sound, which would have been, frankly, I don't know how it could have happened if we if we hadn't had this. Yeah. Um, when you just strummed it, I heard it, man. I know that's the guitar. It's it's yeah. So yeah. So this is um, this is it. It's this tiny little thing. It's kind of beautiful and beat up. Um, but we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay this uh this mic down so it sounds relatively similar to the other mic. Let's see if I can do this. Okay, so I won't be able to hear you for a moment, but here we go. All right.
okay <laughs> the mix was great dude absolute bravo to you uh, <laughs> cool, I, I, I had goosebumps the whole time I am I am completely honored that you did that just now it was <laughs> I, it was so cool I can't believe uh, how high your voice still is you sound exactly like you did uh, uh, 20 years ago it's awesome oh, thanks, man, man. I, I, and I wish I could I could play guitar and, and sing at the same time uh, like you do with that feel it's just so good man it's so good oh. thank thank you Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. And, and thanks for doing such a weird deep dive. I love this kind of stuff. It's so fun to talk to another person who writes and does, you know, music and like, I don't know. It's just 
very very sort of purposeful and thank you for that no so, and th- and thank you and uh you know i love doing this podcast uh my producer chris whom you know you've uh Weedus has done uh, a uk tour with punchline back in the day i guess i i just yes. found, i just found that out and and uh you know chris had, had suggested me doing this about a year ago and i can't tell you what it's done for me musically i i've i've discovered another love of music again uh uh not that it ever went away but uh, just being able to break down other people's songs i've learned so much you know and just being yeah. able to have have this connection with somebody it's like i'm gonna go back and, and dive into your catalog you're such an interesting songwriter and, and uh you know i, I have a, a new favorite band again it, this is this is <laughs> it's cool well, it's that i mean that you know like i just i get every week i get to kind of uh dive into someone else's career and and man that was such a great performance Th- thank you thank you chris i mean like you know i de- like now it's so late in our in our lives and in, in our career and everything to have people because like you know when when we first started touring you, you guys like that was a big deal to be even be in the same room that you guys were in it felt like we were getting somewhere and all that stuff and to to be in touch with you this way is really like kind of like i'm a little starstruck to be frank like and i know i know matthew our bass player you know has been to see you a bunch of times and like i just i feel like uh it really feels very uh sort of like an arrival of some kind just to be able to talk to you like this. So really much appreciation. Thank you very much well, for having me. Thank you for saying that. I wish you nothing but continued success. And I'd like you to leave the listeners now with whatever's going on with, with, with Wheatus coming up. What, right. What, what's happening? So to my surprise, we're hitting the road again, September 7th with another leg of the Summerland tour, Everclear, Hoobastank, Living Color. Um, and uh, we're coming through uh, a whole bunch of dates just got posted, and there's talk of it happening again later in the year, perhaps. In addition to that, uh, we're uh, we're finishing up this record. Like I said, the re-record of our first album cool. is the first the ten songs from the original cut, but uh, another ten additional tracks from from over the years, songs that kind of sounded like they belonged on album one, and that's why we didn't do them. You yeah. know, um, so uh, it's it, once pandemic is cleared up and this touring is over, we're going to finish that up. I'm shooting for Christmas 2021 for the big release on those 20 tunes, uh, but Teenage Dirtbag 2020 is and a bunch of other tracks from that selection eight songs to be exact are all currently on spotify so you can check out those new ones and we're there's a movie that we're making a couple of kids in the uk uh started following us around on tour and back in 2010 and they came up with a documentary um they got they got pretty deep on the whole thing it's called uh weedus you might die and um <laughs> it's a, a feature-length documentary that's um that's in the works and we're just trying to finalize uh, again with the with all sorts of covid caveats but um gotcha but uh yeah um and uh and just going out on the road again with art and and uh doug and and uh cory and vernon and all those guys in that in those bands that we look up to so much it's just i can't believe it's about to happen again in less than a month so we're so stoked you know that's great well if you get it get a chance tell tell art and the hoobastank guys that uh, i said hello please yeah i will do i will do thank you Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our biweekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. 
So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Glazed from Jacksonville, Florida. They describe themselves as a pop punk band, but I think there's a lot more here to them than just that really cool sound. They're going to be playing the fest this year in Gainesville, Florida, so make sure to check them out there. Here's a snippet of their song, Cheeseburgers. Think work. Can panic club perform The poison always picks the perfect storm Chris and Chris. Man, I was super excited for that episode, just as I know everybody is going to be super excited for that episode because, Chris, Teenage Dirtbag is seriously, in my lifetime, one of the most beloved songs, and not just by people that like punk rock music or pop music. I'm talking everybody I know loves that song. And one thing that makes that clear is if you take a look at some of the artists over the years that have covered that song, SZA covered that song, Phoebe Bridgers covered that song, All Time Low covered that song, One Direction covered that song. It is just loved by everybody. And I don't know, when you talk to Brendan, you kind of see why. He kind of covered all the bases. Yeah, and it's just a unique track. It's unique. I I use the word novelty, which I'm I'm, I'm always careful to use words like that because I never want to cheapen somebody's hit song or or not a hit song. I don't want to say a word that that cheapens it, but I I, I meant it with sincerity. This this song uh, is is very unique. Uh, Everything about it, from using a guitar from 1890 on the verses and changing the guitars for the chorus but not bring in uh, electric guitars still using acoustics and running them through these crazy old preamps with just uh, he's a musical uh a musical nerd in the sense that he just loves gear and loves weird stuff and all the influences that he threw into this track uh it's the sum of its parts and, and nothing quite sounds like it yeah it's very unique very original Chris, I do a podcast about one-hit wonders, so believe me when I tell you that I have done my due diligence when it comes to novelty music and what makes a novelty song. And when you said that, I was kind of like, you know what? I'm going to argue with Chris about that a little bit in the rap because I know what you're getting at. 
And the dictionary style definition of that is a song that's built upon some some form of novel concept, such as a gimmick, a piece of humor, or a sample of popular culture. Now, I think in a way you do have all of those elements. Not the gimmick. I, I don't think the song is gimmicky, but you do have him playing the role of both the guy and the girl in this story. So you have that part and you have the humor in the lyrics and you do have that sample of popular culture, whether it be the IROC or the Keds or whatever. So I, I do think you're, you're valid in saying that. But when you look at like the history of novelty music, I feel like Brendan would gladly be put in a category with someone like weird Al, uh, <laughs> but, but what, but he's way less in a category of someone like, uh, Lou Bega and Mambo Number no. Five, which is a novelty hit. Yeah, you know what I mean, you know, novelty and, hits are yeah. a, a, they're they're something I didn't bring up in the episode. They're a sign of the times. It's something that's happening now. That wasn't so much what I was getting at with this, I, and I, I I'm glad you brought that up because I think I was a little off the mark. But there was something about this song that was almost unbelievable. That the the singer was playing the role of both the the male uh, and the female in it, and there was something almost like, is this real? Like the first time I heard it, I was like, what is this? Is this like it? It just seems like so out there as a song uh but it fit in perfectly with, with what was happening in the late 90s early 2000s it, it sounded like a lot of the bands i mentioned in the episode but it didn't sound like one in particular it kind of took all these different influences and and uh i don't know it's <laughs> like you said it's been covered by so many bands uh and everybody knows this song you know he kind of he kind of scoffed at the 200 million youtube views but i don't know to me that's that's pretty impressive you know, this song brings about like something I've been thinking about a lot lately is a lot of time hit songs have something that just grabs you about them. Something like almost outlandish about them, you know, and you, you brought up the point that this doesn't sound like a lot of other Weedus songs, that this song even sticks out as a Weedus song. Who Weedus has some pretty wild songs they have a song i love called lemonade i don't know if you know that song but you should really check that song out too amazing song But this song, yeah, the way he sings it so high. And then you have all those little those little sound clips, those things of like the car noises yeah. and the, the little samples. And I was thinking when you were talking about that, have we had a song yet so far on this show that had that as an element of it? I, I don't know if we have. Yeah, there was. There, I, I can't think off the top of my head. I know there was some samples, but not like this. This was... Right. What, you know, kind of gives it its own personality, this song. And I even brought it up in the episode. And again, I was tr treading lightly. I didn't want to uh, <laughs> offend Brendan, but this song's annoyingly yeah. catchy, which a lot of hit yeah. songs are. And it, his vocal delivery, it, like, it makes you, you know, the first time I heard it, I was like, you know, it's almost the guy, which he, he is. He's the, he's the ner nerdy guy at prom. He's not fitting in. It's like, and you're hearing him singing this whiny voice. And I'll tell you, when he... Uh, performed acoustic. He sounds just like he did 20 years ago. That voice, I'm thinking he's going to do it another key. He did it in the original key on the guitar from the 1890s. That guitar that was used on the original recording, that was so cool. Dude, I was going to say that 
maybe when you heard this song for the first time or, or in the early years, you would have just assumed that if that wasn't a female doing that part, that they just pitched it up. You know? For sure. Like, for sure. Yeah. And and to sit here and and watch him and listen to him nail that, <laughs> it's 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 incredible. It's seriously incredible. And I loved when he said that. They wanted the song to be weaponized. They wanted the song to do the work. Mm -hmm. And it does on every level. It is hook after hook after hook after hook. And on top of that, man, the story. Well, it, yeah. It, how it, could it, you not love the story in this song? The story is so relatable. It's I've talked about this to you before. It's universally relatable. It gives you chills. It's such a like nice I'll story. I'll tell you something else I, I love, Chris, is that this is one of those rare times that a song has been cooked this long. He started messing with mm. this thing in 1997, you know, about four years prior to the release in 2003 or four years, and just kept demoing it and kept trying different things with it and, and doing rewrites. And that we rarely hear that, you know. Uh, yeah. if, it, if it has been belabored over a song, it's, you know, the, the producer will have something to do with it or the band members, and they'll, they'll cook it a little, little too long but usually it's like oh this song was written in five minutes and this one was put a lot of time in and he, and he said that at some point it, it was it was a concern of his but ultimately in the end he believed in the song i think that we're about 70 episodes into this podcast now and this isn't putting down any other song and yeah there is merit in those songs that are written in five minutes or whatever i think this song i think teenage dirtbag is the most well thought out song from a songwriting perspective and a production perspective uh, standpoint of any song we've done. It's the most, it seems like it's the most labored over and the so much love was put into it and so much thought was put into it. A great band, all great people. I can't say enough great things about Weedus. Amazing episode. And speaking of amazing, Chris, I don't know if uh, everybody out there knows, but you do animated videos as well as lyric videos. You can do picture video collage uh, uh, montages for, for bands, for, for fans, for people that get custom songs from me. So uh, tell people where to, where to reach you if they, if they like uh, any, of, any of the above. Thanks for the plug, Chris. Uh, yeah, if you would like to reach me, you can hit me up at chrisfafalius at gmail.com. That's chrisfafalius at gmail.com. That is my personal email address. Yeah, I guess it's C-H-R-I-S, F as in Frank A, F as in Frank A, L-I-O-S as in Sam at gmail.com. That's what I always have to do to people on the phone when I'm spelling my last name because F's and S's sound a lot alike on the phone. But uh, yeah, just hit me up. So they, 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 they don't have to have Apple for A or Alpha for A? No, I think they can figure out A. It's the F's and S's <laughs> that get confused. I got a lot of F's and S's in my name, but chrisofalius at gmail.com is how you can reach me. Yeah, people have, uh, they'll, they'll hit me up thinking that I put these things together. I don't, I don't do much uh, in the way of video, but, but Chris is your man. If you would like, uh, like his help, he's, uh, he's there for you. Once again, chrisofalius at gmail.com. And please, please, please give me a follow on Instagram. I'm still 6,000 uh, followers shy of, of Roger from Less Than Jake. I can't even believe this. It's like two years later, I'm, it's exactly six. 6,000, what it was two years ago. Uh, I, my ego is bruised. Um, you can reach me on Instagram at less than Chris D. And I uh, want to thank this week's guest. Well, uh, so much fun, man. I, I totally, totally just uh, couldn't believe what went into this song. I, mm -hmm. just, I can't say enough about it. I want to thank Brendan B. Brown from Weedus for sitting in with us this week. And we'll see you next time.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.